Section 18 of the Roman Triumvirates by Charles Merivale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 Tyranny and Death of Caesar. Part 2. But we return to the projects of the great dictator during the course of the year, which under happier auspices might have really become the last of civil strife and political confusion the military statesmen of rome had generally adopted one of two plans for relieving the impoverished classes of the city and drafting off from rome itself the superfluous masses of its soldiery pompeius and sulla had seized upon the forfeited estates of their adversaries throughout the peninsula and planted their veterans upon them but the effect of these forcible assignments had been generally disastrous they had embittered strife and engendered perpetual animosities among the sufferers while they had demoralized the men whom they were meant to serve and rendered them both idle and turbulent caesar reverted to the ancient method of settling new colonies of roman citizens and he selected from policy or generosity some of the cities which had suffered most from their rivalry with rome and of which rome had up to this time never ceased to be jealous he proposed thus to restore corinth capua and carthage and all his colonies thus wisely chosen grew and flourished and became in after ages some of the noblest cities of the empire corinth significantly adopted the name of laus julia perhaps she looked forward from the first to the project he already contemplated of cutting through the isthmus and thus mingling in one harbour the commerce of eastern and western greece of europe and of asia the liberal views which the dictator entertained for the extension of the roman franchise might lead him to regard rome herself as no longer an isolated municipium but the centre and capital of the roman world as he proceeded to lay the groundwork of a comprehensive scheme of universal legislation his first care was to develop the material unity of the vast regions before him by an elaborate survey of their local relations the roman land measurers were accustomed to draw the boundaries of public and private estates italy and the provinces were to a great extent marked out by their terminal stones and limits a commission of geographers and mathematicians was now appointed to execute a survey of the whole empire a work of labour which seems to have been steadily continued even through the turbulent years that followed till it issued in the great map of agrippa a whole generation later another effort not less gigantic was required to impress a moral unity upon this mighty machine caesar prepared to collect and combine in a single code the fragments of roman law dispersed in a multitude of precedents in the edicts of praetors the replies of councillors the decisions of pontiffs and the traditions of patrician houses no doubt he would have completed this undertaking by bringing the laws and customs of the various provinces into working harmony with those of the ruling city and adjusting the ever-conflicting pretensions of the roman and the subject before the tribunals at home and abroad such an important work 
had been already imagined by cicero as the hopeless vision of the philanthropic philosopher but caesar's practical sagacity saw that it not only ought to be done but could be done and it is possible that had he lived ten or twenty years longer he would have anticipated by six centuries the peaceful glory of justinian to these may be added some great material works which the dictator projected nearer home he was ambitious of advancing the pomoirium or sacred limit within which the auspices could be taken and he would probably have given a greater circuit to the walls of rome which had never been extended since the early demarcation of servius and were now thrown down or obliterated in many quarters he would have reconstructed a real line of defence embracing the campus martius and the campus itself he would have enlarged by turning the tiber westward with a bold sweep from the milvian to the vatican bridge further he planned it is said the emptying of the lake fucinus the draining of the pomptine marshes the construction of a canal from rome to tarracina a new road across the apennines and a capacious harbour at ostia a grand combination of schemes to be conceived at one moment by one head the utility of which was perceived by his successors and most of which were actually accomplished by them in the course of after ages the heir whom caesar destined to the imperium was already in the camp at apollonia this young man was gaius octavius the son of attia daughter of the dictator's sister julia who was now at the beginning of b c forty four in his nineteenth year caesar had promoted his house from the plebeian to the patrician order he allowed it further to be understood that he meant to make him his own son by adoption and bequeath to him his patrimony together with the dignities which the senate had declared hereditary to his family these dignities indeed were not hitherto associated in the minds of the romans with any ideas of hereditary succession they could hardly conceive the descent of the dictatorship for instance from the hands of mature experience to those of an untried youth or the establishment of the tribunitian power the free gift of the people in the line of a particular family they would naturally conclude that their hero was intent on securing a title on which alone in their view a dynasty could be founded caesar it was reported desired to be hailed as king his flatterers suggested it his enemies readily believed it and hoped to make him unpopular by urging him to advance the claim one morning a laurel garland with a diadem attached was found affixed to his statue before the rostra the tribunes indignantly tore it down the populace expressing satisfaction at their conduct and saluting them with acclamations as the modern brutuses caesar affected at least to applaud them when a second attempt of the same kind was made and the people again murmured he hastily exclaimed i am no king but caesar he began now however to show some signs of mortification but his friends if such were the real promoters of the intrigue still thought the prize within his reach on the eighteenth of february the day of the lupercalia the imperator was presiding in his golden chair before the rostra his devoted follower marcus antonius took a prominent part in the solemnity 
running lightly clad through the streets with a thong in his hand with which he struck the women who presented themselves to receive the blow which was reputed to avert barrenness when he had run his course he broke through the excited throng and drawing from his girdle a diadem made as if he would offer it to caesar exclaiming that it was the gift of the roman people some clapping of hands ensued but it was faint and brief and manifestly preconcerted when caesar put away from him the proffered gift the applause was hearty and spontaneous i am not king he repeated the only king of the romans is jupiter he ordered the diadem to be carried to the capitol and suspended in the temple to commemorate the gracious offer of the people and his own patriotic refusal this discretion baffled the visions that might be entertained of a popular rising against the usurper but feelings of distrust and despair were taking possession of many of the more eminent citizens and were not confined to the remnant of the republican party some no doubt were disappointed in their hopes of preferment under the new administration but others who had been advanced to high office still felt aggrieved at the preeminence which had been attained by one whom they refused to regard as more than an equal and no doubt the prospect of such preeminence being transmitted to an inconsiderable stripling added a fresh sting to their vexation a plot against caesar's life was now deliberately formed the secret was shared among sixty or even eighty conspirators some of them the most familiar and the most trusted of his personal friends decimus brutus trebonius casca and kimber had all received distinguished marks of the dictator's favour gaius cassius professed himself a republican yet he too had avowed his preference for the merciful caesar over the fierce and sanguinary sons of pompeius but he was a man of bitter and jealous temper a restless intriguer without a scruple or a principle he worked upon the simpler and kindlier nature of marcus junius brutus a weak follower of his uncle the sturdy cato whom he professed to make his example in philosophy and also in civic virtue brutus was willing however to accept the important government of the cisalpine from the hands of the dictator and acquiesced without a murmur in the political situation the weakness of his character may be estimated by the means which the conspirators employed to influence him they affixed a paper to the statue of the elder brutus with the words would thou wert alive they thrust billets into his hand inscribed brutus thou sleepest thou art no longer brutus but they rightly calculated the effect of his name in their ranks which seemed to give a distinct aim to the undertaking and to invest it with a patriotic colour the intrigue soon ripened to its execution caesar had assumed the consulship together with marcus antonius and had announced at the commencement of the year his intention of leading a great force into the east to avenge the slaughter of crassus and of triumphing over the rival kingdom of parthia he even meditated it is said to return by the northern coast of the euxine and crush the hostile league with which mithridates had threatened to knit together the barbarians beyond the danube the preparations for the imperator's departure were almost complete the senate was convened for the ides of march the fifteenth of the month 
on this day as soon as he should enter the curia the blow was to be struck the seventeenth of that month was the day on which pompeius had quitted the shores of italy the seventeenth was also the day of caesar's crowning victory at munda but the popular imagination seems to have antedated an anniversary of so much note in the hero's career and the prediction was already current that the ides of march should be fatal to him hitherto he had spurned every warning of danger the easiest death he had been recently heard to say is that which comes most unexpectedly he had even dismissed the guard which the senate had assigned for the protection of his person so far he had refused to take any precautions but his consort calpurnia had a bad dream the victims presented evil omens at the last moment he seemed to hesitate on the other side marcus brutus was not less moved and was sustained in his resolution only by the constancy of his wife the noble portia the daughter of cato decimus brutus with more nerve still urged caesar to present himself in the senate-house and made a jest of his scruples caesar advanced but as he proceeded along the forum towards the theatre of pompeius in the campus more than one person pressed it is said upon him to warn him of his danger one indeed thrust a paper into his hand and implored him to read it instantly but he paid no heed and held it still rolled up unread when he arrived at the hall of assembly the ides of march are come he observed complacently to the augur spurina ay muttered the sage but they are not yet past he entered the hall his enemies closing around him and keeping his friends aloof trebonius being specially charged to detain antonius at the door on taking his seat kimber approached with a petition for his brother's pardon the others as was concerted joined in the supplication seizing his hands and embracing his neck caesar at first put them gently aside they redoubled their urgency kimber grasped his toga with both hands and pulled it over his arms then casca who was behind drew his stylus or dagger concealed in its case and grazed his shoulder with an ill-directed stroke caesar disengaged one hand with a cry and snatched at the hilt help cried caesar and at that moment the others drew and aimed each his dagger at their victim caesar for an instant defended himself and even wounded one of his assailants with his stylus but when he noticed brutus in the press and saw the steel flashing in his hand also what thou too brutus he exclaimed let go his grasp of casca and drawing his robe over his face made no further resistance the assassin stabbed him with thirty wounds and he fell dead at the foot of pompeius's statue caesar was assassinated in his fifty-sixth year he was hacked to death with three-and-twenty blows of which one only it was said would have been in itself mortal in early life his health was delicate and he was subject to epileptic fits which attacked him in his african campaign and again before the battle of munda yet the energy and rapidity of his movements seemed to prove the general robustness of his constitution had he escaped the stroke of the assassin he might probably have attained old age and carried out himself the liberal schemes which he left to be more or less mutilated by a successor in the empire a quarter of a century later 
the name of julius caesar has filled a larger space in secular history than any other such has been the effect produced on the imagination of posterity both by the greatness of the work which he accomplished and by the intrinsic greatness of his own character the reduction of the unwieldy commonwealth of rome under a single autocrat was doubtless an abortive effort terminating in the premature death of its author and the overthrow of his government it is easy to say that it was not caesar but augustus after him that established the roman empire nevertheless the man who first conceives and executes a great design may command more attention from mankind than one who works upon his lines and brings his designs to completion and so it is that from generation to generation men have been wont to regard the immortal julius as the first of the caesars and the first of the roman emperors to him as their political parent the great autocrats of europe have ever since affiliated themselves to the imperial rule derived from him modern civilization it must be confessed has been largely indebted till it has ripened in a few favoured communities into constitutional monarchies and returned only here and there to the republican type out of which it emerged the part which caesar has played in the development of human society through so many centuries must make him still the most conspicuous of all the actors on the world stage before us our estimate of this great man's actual ability stands on another footing and must be referred simply to the definite judgment pronounced upon him by the historians while other illustrious men have been reputed great for their excellence in some one department of intellect the concurrent voice of antiquity has declared that caesar was excellent in all he had genius says cicero understanding memory taste reflection industry and exactness he was great repeats drummond in everything he undertook as a captain a statesman a lawgiver a jurist an orator a poet an historian a grammarian a mathematician an architect pliny tells us that he could devote his mind without distraction to several subjects at once he could write dictate and listen at the same moment at the same time we are assured that in all the exercises of the camp his vigour and address were not less conspicuous he fought at the most perilous moments in the ranks of the soldiers he could manage his charger without the use of reins he saved his life at alexandria by his skill in the art of swimming but of all his talents his personal influence over men seems to have been the most effective of all great men he seems to have been personally the most amiable and to have retained the respect and love of his fellows notwithstanding a laxity of principle which shocked even his own corrupt times and this is perhaps the more singular inasmuch as caesar is portrayed to us as singularly devoid of the impulsiveness and enthusiasm which so often extort our forgiveness for grave moral delinquencies but it is evident that none came in contact with him without succumbing to the charm of his superior intelligence of his courage his sense his unerring judgment still more perhaps of his unfailing success the deep-rooted selfishness of his personal ambition was lost it may be presumed on a generation of unblushing self-seekers 
but it is as a general that Caesar stands, after all, most preeminent. The common voice of antiquity has been echoed by many of the greatest commanders of modern times, and we may regard his military fame as legitimately established. Neither he himself, in his own commentaries, nor his lieutenant who continued them, makes the slightest effort to disguise his occasional failures, or the straits to which they reduced him. All commanders have made such mistakes, but it is the special praise of Caesar that his mistakes always tended to bring out the extent and variety of his resources, and to show the depth and deliberate character of his plans. The blows inflicted on him by the Treviri and by Vercingetorix prepared the way for his final conquest of Gaul. The repulse at Petra brought the civil war to a crowning triumph at Pharsalia. The check at Alexandria resulted in the subjugation of the richest kingdom of the East. It was not so with Hannibal. It was not so with Napoleon. End of section 18